Welcome to Prepare to Care podcast. We're tackling caregiving issues and offering you free tools, free resources, and information to help you and your family on your caregiving journey. I'm your host, Charlene James. Omicron is a word I'm sure you've heard. It's the latest COVID-19 variant that is spreading throughout our communities and the nation. But how contagious is it? How will it affect us? And when do you know if you have it and it's not a common cold, the flu, or something else? Here to help us to understand more about this latest variant is Dr. Janina White, Deputy Local Health Authority with the Houston Health Department. Welcome, Dr. White. Thank you, Charlene. Glad to be here. Uh, And thank you for joining us. Well, let's begin. What is Omicron and how fast does it spread and how do you know if you have it? So Omicron is a variant, a different strain of the SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes the COVID-19 infection. And the rapid growth in Omicron infections is believed to result in it being more transmissible than our previous variants. It was first detected in specimens in November of 2021 and reported to the World Health Organization. And then the first United States case was confirmed December 1st. And then while we were experiencing primarily the Delta variant, we now know most of our cases are Omicron. Okay. So if we're experiencing a sore throat, runny nose, how do you know if it's more than just a cold or flu? When should we see a doctor? So yes, Charlene, it, it can be challenging to know which symptoms more likely match to a cold, a flu, and or COVID. So while fever, having a high fever may go more with the flu and COVID, or having a loss of smell or taste might go with COVID, and more so with the Delta variant than what we're seeing right now with the Omicron variant, some of the milder symptoms cross all three. So as we kind of work to get more people vaccinated to COVID mm-hmm. and remind people to get their flu vaccine, it's really important to have these conversations with your trusted healthcare provider. We still know often people over the age of 50 experience health concerns and not knowing your a person's unique health history mm-hmm. leaves me to really encourage someone to have that intimate conversation with their provider. Because as we know, even mild symptoms may exacerbate a chronic health issue. So this underscores the importance of where we are in the pandemic, that getting tests is really strongly recommended. Okay. So how long after you're exposed do you begin to experience symptoms? to know that something is kind of off in terms of your your health status. Absolutely. So you can imagine nailing down an incubation interval can be pretty tough. Our best information reports that symptoms are anywhere from as early as two days from your exposure to almost two weeks from an exposure. So how we learn this is that our researchers have to really take a look at outbreaks that are reported to us. And they sort of track backwards when they interview people So this is why when they ask questions or if you get called and someone's asking a lot of questions, they're really trying to determine when you might have had your exposure, when did it occur, and they're trying to time those symptoms so that we can get this kind of information. So 
you know, this is tricky because you have to take into account that someone has to remember when they felt sick mm. and it's difficult to remember. I mean, it, it might matter though, you know, when you felt sick, depending on, on your vaccine status, mm -hmm. if you have underlying health conditions, the infection history, your age, even, you know, we think about the amount of virus someone gets, you know, when people sneeze or cough on someone, you know, does it matter how much, how intense that was? So very uh, uh, unique ways to try to figure this out. Okay, that's some good points. You know, everybody is different. So you brought up some really good points for people to, to take into consideration. So does the variant affect children and adults who are 50 plus the same? So we're still learning more about this variant every day. And so while we've seen children affected and have heard that they have milder symptoms, we also know this variant has only been around since a very short time, since November again. So we'll be learning more and more about this every day. But we know that that group 50 and over have demonstrated that, you know, they really had higher vaccine uptake. They got the vaccine earlier in the rollout. Um, so I'm sure that's giving them a lot of protection. And it's only been in recent months that children and teenagers have really become eligible to receive their vaccine and their boosters. Okay. Now we've heard a lot about um, pre-existing conditions you know, that you'll hear a lot of people talk about. So what if you have a chronic health condition? What can someone expect? Does this, you know, complicate the situation even more? It does. We actually know that people over the age of, um, you know, people of any age, rather, with chronic conditions are more likely to get severely ill from COVID-19. And that really the vaccines, that initial dosage, your series, your booster, all these other preventive measures for COVID are very important, especially if you have multiple medical problems. And when we rolled out the vaccine, remember, we really were targeting individuals that might have that weakened immune system, other chronic conditions, because we knew, you know, initially that that was really a vulnerable population, mm -hmm. regardless of age. And so we're excited because you can, we're now seeing the benefits of those individuals having been vaccinated, having had maybe their third dose. Third dose were for individuals that may have may have had an, uh, a compromised immune system. So they kind of got an extra uh, a booster dose, but then they end up also being offered a booster dose. So those opportunities really have helped that population really stay you know, extra safe. Okay. So how well is this vaccine holding up to this variant? And how about those that are, un, un, I guess, boosted is the term? So at the Houston Health Department, we're seeing that the breakthrough rates are extremely low levels, about 1%. So that means the vast majority of vaccinated people have developed immunity to okay. avoid becoming infected with COVID-19. So that's great news. And our rate goes even lower for people who now have gotten that booster shot. So breakthrough for people who've had their booster is, you know, 0.2%. So vaccines offer superb protection. What about um, the percentage of hospitalization of the people who are infected? So great question, Charlene. So this is really um, an interest, interesting discussion about hospitalizations. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing hospitalizations highest still among the unvaccinated. Okay. And that's, we know those people are being admitted into the hospital, you know, and, and the concern is severe illness, long, long prolonged hospitalizations and even death. Now, we're starting to see people come into the hospital for routine care. 
And when they go for routine sort of hospital services, they get sort of swapped for looking for COVID. And so we're seeing people coming in for routine care who subsequently are COVID positive, but they've been actually vaccinated. So we know that when they've been vaccinated and boosted and still find themselves maybe in the hospital for mm. a, a, a you know, secondary procedure, colonoscopy or something like that, you know, their hospital stays aren't as long um, and they need less sort of what we call critical care. So they're often not on oxygen, they're on the regular floor, they're not having to go to the intensive care unit. But um, I still want to have people understand that um, even last week, the Centers for Disease Control, CDC, they updated one of their um, portals and it talks about hospitalizations of COVID-19 uh, individuals among children and adults through this network. They look at over about 250 hospitals um, in 14 states. And they have seen an increase for people of all ages. And even while children still have the lowest rate of hospitalization of any group, right now, pediatric hospitalizations are the highest compared to any other point in the pandemic. Okay, here's a question. Is it safe to walk around without a mask if you have been vaccinated and boosted? All right, we like that question because that means people are in motion. We want people to be moving, moving yeah. around, right? In okay. their activity. <laughs> but it's really about your level of risk. So in general, you don't need to wear a mask if you're in an outdoor setting. But when you have areas with high numbers of COVID cases, consider wearing a mask in crowded outdoor settings and for activities with close contact with others who aren't fully vaccinated. So we know in the Houston uh, area, our positivity rate is really, you know, really high. So you have to be very careful in outdoor settings with a lot of people in close proximity. But people who have conditions or take medications that weaken their immune system may not be fully protected even if they've had their full vaccination. So they need to continue to wear their mask and take precautions until they're sort of advised otherwise by their um, healthcare provider. So remember, if you're fully vaccinated to maximize your protection, you have even wanting to prevent from getting the infection or giving it or spreading COVID-19 to others, wearing a mask indoors though is in public is always best practice. Okay. So what about the over-the-counter COVID test? Can they detect Omicron or Delta? So uh, over-the-counter tests can detect the SARS-CoV-2 virus, but it currently does not determine what variant you have. Okay. But recently, um, the um, United States has made the ability for every home to get home tests. Yes. Um, you can order four free at-home tests, mm -hmm. and they're... Um, usually ship within seven to 12 days of you putting in that information to the website covidtest.gov. And so I encourage everyone to take that opportunity to at least order your tests so you can have them when you need them. So any last tips that you have for our listening audience as far as um, the variants and prevention and how do we go forth from here and staying well? So it's only been recent months that our children and our teens became eligible to receive the vaccines or a booster for certain age groups. And I wanna encourage parents to get their children and teenagers vaccinated as soon as they become eligible for the COVID-19 shot. And many of these children have siblings under the age of five who are still unable to get protection offered by COVID-19 vaccines. 
So what we know is that vaccines remain our best public health measure to protect people from COVID-19, including the Omicron variant. So vaccines are highly effective. They help prevent severe illness, hospitalization, and deaths to slow the transmission and reduce the likelihood of new variants emerging. Well, thank you, Dr. White. You've provided some very valuable information uh, for our listening audience. And we certainly um, would like to hear from you again, you know, so that we can keep abreast of how things are going with this uh, pandemic. So thank you for joining us and be well. Thank you, Charlene. As always, don't forget to follow us on Prepare to Care podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, at, or at www.aarp.org slash Houston PTC. You can also catch past episodes on our AARP Texas YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. And as always, thanks for caring.